0: From the streets of Hamburg, Germany Welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome As always, I'm your host Shane Told As I bring you conversations with me and other lead singers And yes, I am right now standing on the streets in Germany I am on tour here with my band Silverstein We're doing a 14-date German tour Which is a a lot of shows to do in a country the size of Germany But uh... You know, usually we do something like four to seven, but this time we decided to do a whole bunch. It is going super well so far, all sold out. And a big shout out to all the sinners, all the German sinners that have come and said hi. I always love it when people come up to me and tell me they love the show, especially all over the world. It's just it's so cool that, you know, people in Germany are listening to the show week after week. Anyways, thanks for tuning in. Again, we have a great episode. I speak to Sebastian Granger of Death From Above, formerly Death From Above 1979, one of the coolest bands from Toronto, a two-piece band, a band that's done a lot of really cool and special things, and a band that is in a lot of genres, but at the same time, not really in any genres. Very hard to categorize, very hard to pigeonhole them in any type of way and I love that and thanks again to Sebastian for jumping on and doing the show this week before we get into that as always if you want to get in touch it's super easy email leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com we're on all the social media stuff and if you're not so happy we do have the hate line feel free to give me a call leave me a message and give me some hate the phone number is 657-666-H-A-T-E I also want to remind you guys to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. We have episode 100 coming up. And leading up to episode 100, we have some of the best episodes we've done of this show. And I want to make sure that you guys aren't going to miss anything. So make sure you hit the subscribe button on whatever you're listening to this on. So it can come right to your device every week and you don't miss a thing. And of course, if you like the show, feel free to write a review on iTunes that all does really go a long way in helping this thing grow and of course word of mouth too you know tell a friend tell a loved one tell a brother tell a sister and together we can put this thing into the podcast stratosphere anyways let's keep the intro short this week and let's jump in with sebastian granger of death from above <laughs> Hello. Hey man. How's it going? Good, how are you? Fantastic. Hell yeah. Hell hell yeah. I'm I'm here uh, I'm here with Mississauga's finest, Mr. Sebastian Granger.
1: Uh, I still get the uh I still get the Mississauga trophy. That's great.
0: Come on. Well I'm from Oakville. So, um, Hell yeah. so yeah. you know, I got to, you know, we got to start from the beginning, the origin sometimes.
1: You ever take the uh, the 26A or B bus in Mississauga?
0: No, I, I'm from Oakville, so I like, got that rich kid money. So I always had a car, you know,
1: you got to get good, good postal code.
0: I have an L6H postal code. Yes, I do.
1: I didn't drive until I was 31. So
0: <laughs> Really?
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> well, uh, every, some people are late bloomers, and that's okay. I'm definitely one of those. Um, well, sort of. I mean, we could talk about the old days. We could talk about, there's so much to talk about. It's great to have you on the show, but I do want to talk about Death from Above being back, new record, uh, Outrage is now, is out now. Hell yeah! Uh, yeah, man. I'm gonna, how how I'm are gonna things?
1: Say, I'm going to say hell yeah a bit too much on this podcast.
0: I I like the positivity.
1: I'm going to try to not say you know because uh, apparently that's just this like trope in uh, Jesse and I's uh, interview vernacular. And I and uh, I did a podcast recently, and I and someone counted that I said it. I think it was 88 times in 30 minutes.
0: Yeah, but these motherfuckers have too much time on their hands. They're they're actually listening, not even listening to you, listening to you saying you know.
1: Well, I asked Come them to on. go back. Get I asked them to forens- forensically go back and count because <laughs> I started noticing it, and uh, I you know I sent them a free well, there's record, one. so it was yeah. Oh, did I do it? You did one. Yep. Ding, 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 ding.
0: All right. <laughs> Ring the bell. Well, you know what I always say? People call me out on, on these podcasts. Is I always say that that's interesting. I always say that mm-hmm. word for some reason. Yeah. So I'm sure you're going to hear me say that a couple of times as well. But, you know, oh, I did it. I did it. you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. And the other one, too, that people that tend to be our age, um, and 1979 really gives away your birthday, by the way. I don't know. I know. Um, yeah. It's. <laughs> you're like, fuck, really? Now, no, now, now they're a... old guys. When you were young and cool, it was fine.
1: <laughs> I, I had a flight attendant uh, come up to me recently and she she saw my arm and I've got a tattoo of it on my arm and, and uh, she asked me what the what the numbers were and I said, it's my birth year. And she went. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, my my daughter is uh, starting to get tattoos, and uh, I don't know how I feel about it. I was like, well, tell her to not get her birth year tattooed on her because it's cute when you're 22. It's not not as cute when you're 38.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and when you're like 51, it's going to be a little bit even worse, I think.
1: <laughs> it's going to be better.
0: Maybe it will be better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um,
0: uh, I forget where I was with all this, but uh, new record, dude. So um, are you excited? What's going on? I, I feel like your band has had a lot of sort of ups and downs starting Uh strong, going away for a while, coming back. And now a new record. Is it a hell yeah kind of situation right now? Is that why you're going to say hell yeah so much? Are you just really stoked on things?
1: Yeah, I'm very stoked. I feel, uh, I feel great about our record. I had a blast making it and, um, it's really, it's kind of the, for me, it's the, kind of the accumulation of all of the things that I I, I'd like to do with recording. Cool. Um, yeah, so it's, I didn't hold back as much as I, I had on, uh, I think that er earlier I was, I was, everything was so new. Um, and I was kind of trying on, uh, trying on different personalities in a way. And, uh, And then going out and doing, having, you know, kind of mid-level flight solo jaunt, um, I was able to explore a lot more of my own, like, specific interests. And then when we came back and did the second record, Physical World, I I was uh, unsure how much of myself I should expose in the whole thing. It's really, it sounds weird to say. No, it doesn't. um,
0: I can understand that. Sure.
1: Yeah, and then th- this time around, it was like, that wasn't even a thought. It was just, let's just make something that we both really like, you know?
0: No, totally. Well, the one thing that struck me is is I know you worked with Eric Valentine, and uh-huh. he's a guy a little outside your world. You know what I mean? He does a lot of mainstream kind of stuff and, like, yeah, pop definitely. punk and, and, and you know, kind of big rock records in a way. Yeah. Um, was it going, I don't know if you knew, knew him or you worked with him before on anything or whatever, but, like, Having a producer like that, I feel, could be a little bit scary in like pushing a record in a direction you might not be comfortable with.
1: It's funny. The my my initial uh, instincts when we were like kind of on a search for producers and his name came up, and uh, I didn't know who he was um, until I looked at his uh, you know his credentials, and um, I was really intimidated by the sort of the spectrum of of things he'd worked on because I couldn't see us in that you know I'm sure there's double worms no. and there's some heavier stuff on there and and like you know you're just full-on trying to rip off the sound the drum sound on songs for the Deaf when we were produced trying to self-produce our last record. so um, there's definitely things in his wheelhouse that resonate with us but um, the the breadth of his of his career was intimidating and it was Jesse that mentioned, um, he's like, L- listen, dude, look at all of the different things he's done and do any of those bands sound alike, you know? And it's like, not really. And he, he noted that, you know, that's probably because the guy just makes everything sound like itself, you know? Right. And and when we met him, uh, we went on kind of a blind date uh, <laughs> at his studio. And that was exactly, like, there was no uh, pretense or facade. It was just pure, like he talked about our demos talked about the songs talked about the technical stuff he would do he builds his own gear he's like his father was a rocket scientist oh he's super he's just nerd like a guy super yeah. nerd smart uh, you know super kind his, you know his his studio's called barefoot and he doesn't wear shoes you know like he's totally just like salt of the earth kind of guy nice. really into space telescopes and rock and roll so <laughs> it was it was great, and uh, you know, I—I I mean, I spent every hour that this record was in production, I was there. You know, I was—I was in the studio for every minute of it. So, um, to have a guy like him uh, to, you know, in that sense, to really collaborate with. Um, and not get sick of like we still are fond of one another and text each other and, you know, and yeah. see each other and, and do things. So it, it was, uh, you know, it feels like it was the beginning of a, of a long relationship. Which that's is nice cool. That's
0: yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I had a, a podcast I did like on I do like these bonus episodes and I talked to a producer we'd worked with. And it's funny because you spend so much time with a producer on a record. Right. And then a lot of times it's like done. And it's like, okay, we're done tracking. Well, thanks, see ya. And then, like, you don't even talk to them. It's such a weird thing to have somebody so close in your life and then all of a sudden you're just like, yeah, I don't know, I guess we're, like, cool, but it's just, you know, that's such a funny dynamic, too, that happens sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, also, with your band being the two of you guys, you'd think there'd be even more importance on a producer of having that third man because, like, I worked on some solo stuff myself, and it was just me uh-huh. and me and the me and the engineer producer. And there's always that time when you're like, "Well, I don't know. What do you think?" And you're like, "Well, I don't know." And you like look for that third person. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, And for the, sure. the tiebreaker person, the the you know what I mean. There, you need to have that that kind of mediator. I'm sure between you and Jesse. So yes. was he that guy? And did he did his personality really work for that?
1: Definitely. I, I mean, we're at a point where we just really. We really know each other you know like jesse and i really you know we're like brothers in a sense and um and i understand the way he wants to approach recording and it's the same as it's been for him uh you know since he was probably 15 years old he just wants to go in it's like frank sinatra he wants to go in do it and get out you know and i'm the kind of guy that just wants to you know, sit and really work on something. Like, right. keep going until you know. I'll go all night, and so, um, because we've uh, we've accepted sort of those roles in one another. You know, I needed someone to you know spend a lot of time with. You know, Jesse, he's able to come in and like do his thing, and and he he you know he's the kind of guy that generally doesn't get better with takes you know he uh <laughs> he does he does the thing that he does and then uh and then you know it, it kind of starts to go downhill maybe a little bit so right um but that's something he's self-aware of and and so we try to you know structure it in a way that so we can capture him at his best all the time and then all of this sort of the grunt work of uh, you know, as a lyricist and uh, writing melodies, the grunt work of of figuring out exactly how I want to reduce an idea down to a rock and roll lyric, you know, like that. Sometimes that c- happens very quickly, and other times that happens over the course of weeks, you know. So, um, and that's not necessarily something that he needs to be present for all the time, right? Um, so it, it it really works out. And when we were trying to self produce. Uh, this record again we keep making that mistake of thinking we can make it on our own you know we kind of we kind of because we're we're our default position is to be kind to one another Uh, we don't like to over criticize each other so um it it gets challenging to push push the music forward in a way that we want to push it um we need we need that that third person to to make sure that uh that we're at our best all the time, you know, Right.
0: no, it's just that dynamic of two people. And, and mm-hmm. also just the understanding it's, it's really funny. Cause when you were in the middle of your explanation before you kind of got to the meat of it, I was like, well, that's a singer thing, you, you know, mm-hmm. like, like it's a singer thing to be like, well, I have these lyrics and I have these melodies and like, I want everything to be perfect. And a lot of it stems from a place of being that kid from Mississauga from Oakville. That's like, well, I'm a little self-conscious about my voice. I don't know if I'm the best singer. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like, uh-huh. as you get older, yes, you get better. But a lot of times, those those the way you've always done things, the way Jesse's done records since he was 15, it's you're the same way. You're setting your ways a little bit too. Yeah. So I think that's definitely. that's very interesting.
1: Yeah, I'm still the guy that wants to stay up all night recording my voice into a four track and listening back to it and go, like, oh, are right, I so clever?
0: You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's very funny so you're in los angeles right now what are you doing out there at the moment
1: uh i live here with my wife oh you live here there oh i didn't know yeah, you're there now she, yeah she's a filmmaker um so this is kind of the spot to be and uh yeah we've got a dog and a view and it's funny she's uh i flew in yesterday we were in europe for promo and uh I flew, landed at nine PM, and she took off at like six PM to go to Europe for film related things. So we just missed each other. Oh, bummer. Yeah, yeah, but that's the uh, that's the life.
0: That's the reality. Yeah. So how long you been in LA? Do you miss uh, Toronto? Uh,
1: not particularly. We've been here for about five years now. Um, we went back when uh, Jesse and I were starting to work on these uh, this last batch of songs. Um, and also for visa related, boring yeah. bureaucratic issues, sure. but, uh, um, I've always kind of, uh, reveled in the idea of like starting anew, you know, and, uh, I don't know what it was, uh, early, earlier in my life, but definitely like in high school, I, I, I went to, uh. A French all French high school See, um, with all yeah I went to Sanfam with all the, the kids I basically like went to kindergarten with you know all the way up to grade 11 and for 12 and 13 I I went to a different high school and, and that for me was um, really a an, a an awakening you know like a Renaissance in a sense um, for me like I'd never been to public school um, and I'd never been exposed to you know all the stuff that basically laid the foundation for what I do now, which is uh, dare I say punk rock, but the the sort of art art side of music, um, right? And and you know DIYness of it, and and that was something I wasn't exposed to. I mean, at least ideologically, I was you know I was definitely doing things on my own, um, but it wasn't um, it wasn't part of a of a scene in, in any way.
0: Yeah, well, totally. I mean, Mississauga, too, was, like, very disconnected, I found. Like, if you talk, want to talk about when we were kids, you know, Mississauga yeah. kind of had, like, it was just, like, this black hole between, like, where there was kind of cool shit going on in Toronto and where there was cool shit going on, like, in Hamilton, Burlington, Oakville area. And uh-huh. Mississauga didn't have as much going on. Um, while we're on the subject, though, let's talk about the early days. Um, saint famy um... What about your old bands like uh, Fourth Day Sun? <laughs>
1: uh, you know, uh, i mentioned this a couple of times before, but we never officially broke up. so I Still, oh, shit. Uh, you know, still on the table. Still, still going strong. Yeah, that was just, you know, it was my high school band. It was basically the, the band that started with me and a guitar player. Um, I was playing drums. And, uh, you know, we started in whatever, grade seven or so. And then... <laughs> Uh, and then the people that you know, the guy that was the quote unquote roadie who helped us, you know, load our amps onto stage at the Mississauga Public Library, later became our singer. You know, it's that kind of just like ki- kid stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then was there was,
0: and then later there was Remedy, right? No, they they were all the same band. Same uh, band, name uh, change, name we change. You just, just kept having name
1: changes. Ah, yeah, okay. That's also in my DNA. No, well changing the name all the time.
0: No, it's funny. I just like to bring up these things I know that no one else knows. And literally <laughs> yeah. if someone tries to Google Fourth Day Sun, nothing will come up. There's nothing out there.
1: No, we changed our name uh, to Fourth Day Sun after I went to summer camp and, and discovered Sunny Day Real Estate and I thought we needed a cooler ah. name <laughs> we needed a cooler name than Remedy with uh, you know, whatever.
0: It's well, fun yeah it is it is fun and i like i like reminiscing <laughs> but but yeah no i mean the the old days like mississauga I do, I do kind of like i was saying mississauga was this black hole with nothing but now i'm remembering like there were shows at, like the aaron mills church and the masonic lodge yeah um,
1: kinsman hall and kinsman there was hall. stuff in Meadowvale. there was like uh there was this big annual rock jingle bell rock thing and sort of the Meadowvale streetsville scene There was like a lot of stuff going on and uh I was partially exposed to it through my older brother, just because he had uh, friends in Medivale and Streetsville, and and uh, but I didn't really I didn't really get too involved in like the quote unquote scene ever really you know. Um, right. It was just I, I would go to shows and I'd see like I'd be fascinated with how it worked, like how are all these people here and what brought them here, and then discovering that it was just like oh that guy in that band put this show on and i was like well i have a band i can do that too and you know discovering that you know you just all you need is a couple hundred bucks to to rent the place out or whatever it was um so it was less affiliated it was like a scene or you know anything specific it was just the, the idea that you can put on a show and when i put on shows there would be like you know totally incongruous acts like it would be like you know my band, which was like, you know, totally in the, would be considered in the alt rock world with like <laughs> yes. a little, a little bit of the Sunny, their real estate influence. Um, and then there'd be like another, like, you know, sort of like minded band, a hardcore band, an acoustic performer, like a guy with a 303, you know, there's all yeah. kinds of weird shit. So um, it was really more about the, the idea that you can just like, you can just, do the thing you know not so much uh the style or the genre of music or whatever
0: no totally but that that was there was a kind of a beauty to that too though you know that kids could come out and see all these different bands and and I, i loved how some of the trends would come and go like there was an era where like pretty much every band just sounded like corn you know, you remember I don't that. Remember that one. You don't remember I don't that. remember that. Oh yeah, it was like totally a thing. And then, like a little later, every band just just wanted to sound like Hatebreed. There were all these like little like yeah. pockets of 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 time. Um, but I mean, there was like Black Cat Number Thirteen. Wasn't Jesse in that band?
1: Yeah, he was, was a great drawer. band. That was a great. Yeah, band. they were great. I mean, the f- uh, the first time I played with them, um, I was just so floored <laughs> by. By him specifically, like I'd known Mark McLean, who played bass, just through uh, people I went to high school with, and uh, um, but seeing Jesse play was like a revelation. This guy was—he looked like an insane person. He had a cr- weird haircut. He dressed weird, and when he played, he looked like a like a skin-colored blur, you know. <laughs> uh, and he played a, he played a double kick pedal, and it's just totally. Completely, you know, uh, perpendicular to anything else that I'd seen before, and so I I don't remember if that was the first time I'd actually seen him or, or or met him, uh, or if it was, you know, there's some mishmash of the timeline there, but but definitely, uh, it it sounds hokey to say now, but and and it you know it definitely is hindsight and and all those things, but. somehow magically like i saw a future in that guy it's really bizarre but even back then
0: no it's, it's not bizarre because there there's people and you can notice it you know people very young it's like some people just have this sort of you just know they're going to be successful or you know that they get it and it isn't always something so quantitative you know what i mean it can just be this just glimmer in their eye when you're like ah that guy's just got it like that guy's a star which is sort of a lame thing to say, but it really is true.
1: No, but it's, it's also the, because that, that is definitely true. When I first saw Jesse on the street, he looked like, he was like wearing a leather jacket and you know, he looked fucking cool. And, (laughs) but there was also because I, I liked, uh, you know, I, I was a bit of a weirdo growing up and, and in a sense felt a little bit other always. Um, when I saw him and, Seeing him when I was, you know, 20 or so, and seeing a guy that was a couple of years older and was just as serious about music as I was. Um, and at a time when I felt like uh, I was taking a chance with being that serious about it while well, my friends were going away to university and, you know, becoming something. And I was just like, well, I still want to, you know, make rock music or right. whatever I wanted to make. Yeah. Um, and he had that same mentality. Like he, he took it seriously. And so that's, that was the thing that I saw. I was like, Oh, there are, there are other people that are still, you know, they don't even, it's not like I considered it a dream. It was just like, this was the path, you know? Um, and he, he had that same
2: path. Yeah.
0: Well, how come you ended up on drums and he didn't?
1: Uh, how come I ended up on drums? Uh, I think it was through, um, we played in the band Fem Fatale together, which was his oh yeah solo project. I forgot about that you know? band, yeah. Uh, and I think Black Cat was uh, uh, maybe he played drums in other bands, but Black Cat was like the band he played drums in. You know, he played guitar and synth and and other things. And then in in uh in Fem he was just the singer. Although he wrote all the songs and the parts, and then we would learn them. Yeah. Um, Uh, And so I just, I got into the mode of like that kind of spazzy drumming uh, through that project. And then um, uh, when we made Death From Above, the idea was that we would write uh, these kind of basic bass and drum parts and then get two other people to play those parts. And we, Destiny and I would play lead guitar over the whole thing. And kind of sing, I guess, um, or we were going to get another singer. There was this guy that looked really great at this bar that we hang out at, <laughs> and uh, he looked uh, he looked like Gary Newman. He was amazing, <laughs> and we were like, we should start a band where you know we play guitar and this guy sings because he looks great. And uh, and that never panned out. We just we we started writing the songs and then thought you know that's that's pretty much all you need. And we had one we had a drummer for one rehearsal where I sang or I was just the singer, and and then the next day, you know, we just played together and just kept doing that. Very circumstantial.
0: There you go. Well, shout out to Gary Newman. Uh, Hell yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you guys just need to capitalize on that 21 Pilots money, right? That's what's going on. So, how about those comparisons? uh, Are you getting those comparisons yet?
1: I didn't didn't realize... uh, what they were <laughs> uh until i saw them on snl like we played yeah. a festival a festival like a radio fest thing with them and they're playing the stage like next to us i guess and while i was setting up my my drums i could hear them playing and it sounded like they sounded like a mixtape you know like it sounded like oh there's there okay there's a little edm there's a little reggae there's a little screaming there's you know there's some punkness to it i found it was like i so difficult to pin down i was like this mm-hmm. is such a weird such a weird genre of music and then when i looked over the crowd was huge oh <laughs> I thought, yeah okay well there's, they're doing something they
0: figured something but, out
1: yeah yeah it wasn't until i saw them on snl that i i saw that there was a guy playing
0: bass and a guy playing drums that's funny so is there is there like when you guys are recording um, and again, you've got two people. Do you just, do you uh-huh. do all the drums? Does Jesse jump in? Does Jesse say, oh, play it like this? Is it like very collaborative like that instrument to instrument? Or do you guys kind of have like, nope, this is sort of my department. Like, how does that work? Just a interesting, just, I'm just interested in that.
1: Yeah. We're, we're open to, uh, we share, you know, ideas. So, um, because his, he comes from more of like a heavy kind of, uh, you know, hardcore metal kind of background, spazzy, weirdo background. He has like ideas about how, uh, drums should sound. And, uh, and sometimes he'll come up with a riff idea and I just have no idea what to do with it. And then in those cases, I'm just like, dude, just like demo the drums, show me what you think it should be. And, uh, and then I'll try to kind of stay, uh, you know, pretty close to that idea and likewise with him sometimes you know I'll just write riffs uh but always when we're writing uh like when i'm writing a, a bass part i'm f- you know i'm thinking about something he would enjoy to play or right. thinking about you know a a, a a progression that would be kind of in his imagination already you know so we we in that sense we write for each other and uh it's really who, you know, it's really about the ideas. If it's a good idea, then it, it flies. And if it's not a good idea, it ends up just kind of withering away.
0: You you must have times when it's so, when you're so opposite though. Like when, uh, do you ever watch, do you ever watch the Metallica documentary? Some kind of monster? Oh,
1: I've watched it probably a dozen times. And
0: <laughs> like, it's one of my favorite things ever. And, yeah. and why I love it so much, there's, there's two of my favorite parts in the movie and, um, and I, what I love is that the biggest band in the world has the same problems that Fourth Day Son probably had, you know, when you guys were kids in Mississauga, yeah. Ontario, Canada. Sure. Literally, there's a part where Hetfield's like playing some riff and Lars is playing along and, and Hetfield goes, hey man, just play it regular. <laughs> yeah. And, and Lars like, what do you mean regular, man? You know? And then there's another part where Hammett is like trying to get this chug part like just this yeah. chug pattern and you can't figure it out. And it's like, I'm just watching it and I can figure it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. there's like these little things that happen. And to relate that back to you guys, it's like, does that ever happen when you're like, you're just like, you hear something and you wrote this, wrote this riff or he wrote this riff and you're playing this drum part. And he's like, no man, just like play it regular. And you're like, well, yeah. that, well I think it sounds fucking stock.
1: <laughs> it's not that I, I actually have a specific memory of uh, my first band in my uh sitting in my friend's living room uh with the drum kit and a guitar and a piano whatever else we were using and my uh my bud dave like turning around saying can you just hit the symbol in the same spot every time not in a different spot every time Yeah, you know, like <laughs> uh but uh with you know it, for example with a song on our there's a song on our new record called moonlight and um when I heard the demo to me, it sounded like just total metal. There's like a double kick pattern in it. And, um, and I was, I play the double kick, but I play it in like a particular way. I play it kind of to do triplet things and kind of Bonamy style fills. Um, but I don't play it like, you know, Mike Portnoy or, or whoever else. <laughs> sort of,
0: Cannibal corpse. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or like a fucking drum magazine dude. So, um, I was, nervous about playing that part. And in the studio, I flat out, you know, I told Jesse, I was like, dude, if I'm not, if I don't nail this like within like the hour, then you're up, you know? Um, but luckily I, I snuck in some rehearsal time over the holidays. So, uh, I was able to do it, but yeah, it's, it's not, uh, I think that that's where the, the producer buffer comes in for us yeah um, exactly when we were when we were uh when we were working on the songs and kind of under the delusion that we were actually making a record about a year ago um <laughs> there were definitely some frustrating times when uh you know especially i don't know uh, if you've ever sat behind the kit but um as I, dabble, guy, I dabble i dabble yeah it's 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 really difficult for me to um It's so all encompassing physically and mentally that, uh, there's not a lot of room for, uh, for, you know, criticism or like, I, I kind of get a little bit like flat creatively, uh, right, so so that's why, for me, like I need to take the as a lyric you know, like a songwriter dude, I have to take take the songs out of that environment, like I can't sit behind the drums and write a song like I just it's not uh, it, it's it's just not in my in my skill set um so those two things, like the drummer and singer, definitely have have uh they have different jobs and they work different hours.
0: <laughs> yeah it's true well yeah I mean let's, that's obvious like elephant in the room is, is just drumming and singing at the same time that's not that common there's obviously there's yeah. been guys that have done it and some to great success I mean yeah. uh, Phil Collins is one of only three guys that has sold 100 million records as a solo <laughs> artist and with a band
1: yeah well band
0: can you name the other two
1: what as a singing drummer
0: uh, no 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 uh, uh, j- any art there's only three artists a little trivia yeah. here this will be fun there's three artists uh-huh. that have sold 100 million records, both as a solo artist and with a band. Can you name uh, them? Phil Collins is one. The other two are pretty easy.
1: Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson? You got it. Nailed it. Damn, that was easy. Yeah, it was easy. But say, Phil Collins is the say, tricky
2: one.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's tricky. He also, I mean, he gets the uh, the credit for being a singing drummer, but like those are two different different terms he's not like a singing drummer like he kind of he does it a little bit but (laughs) he he, he, when things get a little hairy on the kid he pops off and some other you know (laughs) some other no some other bruiser takes over
0: no and here you are playing like sometimes technical double kick patterns while while singing and like is that that must be tough for you (laughs) like let's say you make a record like you just did the record just came out september 8th and Uh You're like, okay, now we got to go on tour. And I see you guys have a lot of tour dates coming up. I mean, do you have to figure out how to play these fucking songs? Because you haven't played them at the same time, I, I imagine. You've played the drums and then you've done the vocals in the booth. Yeah. Is, that's is right. you know, because one plus one equals two isn't that simple, right? With those two instruments.
1: No, it, uh,. first of all the disclaimer is for any of your listeners it's not something i recommend i don't recommend anyone (laughs) endeavor to do it uh i get asked the question a lot by people who've you know seen me do it and ask well how do you you know how can i practice it really is just practice but like i usually tell them to not do it because um it's you know it's hard (laughs) it's not recommended right uh but uh it does take uh, quite a bit of rehearsal like we don't Jesse and I don't live in the same city um so i have like you know i've got like a like a v drum kit in in my garage my i go down there and and play and sing along um to get the parts right and i you know slow it down and figure it out in the with the earlier material um i was writing in a way that was like, uh, more conducive to the task. And, uh, as I get older and stupider, I, I, you know, (laughs) I, I write more complicated melodies and parts and more ambitious vocal lines and things. So, uh, it gets more complicated. Um, and, and honestly I don't, I feel like I don't fully figure the song out until we've played it a bunch live, which is to the detriment of those early shows in a sense Um, and, and that's one of the, that's one of the, uh, not the detriments. It's still, you know, it's not like I'm, we're ripping anyone off, but, um, but, uh, it needs to be uh, the song, the way it it's performed live needs to be worked out in front of an audience in my mind, you know, just that's the way it's, it's always been.
0: It's something people don't talk about. Like at one band rehearsal, somebody, somebody once said to me that one show is equal to 10 band rehearsals. And I'm like, that's probably pretty accurate. Yeah, you know, because yeah. it's not until you play in front of people that you understand. Yeah. And sometimes my favorite is when you play a song in front of people and you're all of a sudden you're like, shit, man, this is like this song isn't like doesn't really rock. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like when you're, yeah, like, yeah. you're like, you're like, you, it's the most self-conscious you ever are about the song when there's a crowd of people. When you're in your practice space, you're like, oh, yeah, this is sick. So it, yeah. it is amazing how it changes.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard in this in this day and age uh with you know all of the everyone's kind of spying on you and filming your every move uh so yeah. it's hard to get it's hard to get away with the uh with those uh those moments um we did a tour uh right before we we uh made our last record um we uh we did a tour where we we went out and played a bunch of small bars and clubs, uh, across Ontario and Eastern Canada and played new material. Some things didn't even have lyrics or melodies yet. And, um, and we were just, we had to go out and kind of work, work on the music and see what worked live and without the, without the, uh, the kind of critical eye of the internet audience. And so we asked, um, we asked the fans to not record, and by and large, they were very respectful of it. There's no—I I, I mean, I I've tried to search for it, but there's no—doesn't appear to be any footage of it online anywhere, right. um, which is cool and very cool. Uh, that was really, really helpful to that uh, to that record.
0: No, that's that's—I think that's awesome, man. No, I was going to ask you, like, what happens if you drop a stick?
2: Uh, like that must be
0: really challenging, like. Most drummers it's like, okay, drop a stick, well I can kinda of play with one hand for a second and pick up the other stick wherever I yeah. keep it. But you have still have to keep your head like on the microphone. Like that's Does that yeah, happen to you? I no, I don't want I, to jinx
1: you but Yeah, I guess it does happen. The my biggest, uh, my, my greatest enemy on stage is the mic stand. Like if it yeah. gets loose or if it, you know, like, cause uh, I feel really betrayed by it. I think, well, your only job is to hold a mic and you're not doing it. And, <laughs> and I can't like, i sorry, I'm busy. I can't, I can't do your job for you. Well, yeah. Uh,
0: I mean, that's like this sli- lot, you know, sliding drums, sliding around. Like, I don't know if you, you probably have your shit pretty much on lockdown wherever you are in the world, but like occasionally you'll be playing some rental kit you know what yeah, I mean? And you yeah. won't know. You won't be comfortable with it. Like that must be such a challenge for you.
1: Yeah, I like to try to um, keep those uh, those variables pretty consistent. You know, uh, you know, playing my own drums and things. Not because I'm a snob about drums, but because it, exactly for that reason. Like I've got too much to worry about. Um, physically during the show to worry about like where the rack tom is you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah well my favorite Um, thing was when um when you were on letterman i remember you put on your kit they are mine because i know letterman (laughs) always asks the drummer at the end hey nice (laughs) drums are they yours yeah yeah yeah. so i like that that was really cute when i saw that on tv whatever that was
1: i was trying to troll him into asking (laughs) me because uh he's asked some friends of mine and i'm jealous about it so
0: did he not ask you
1: i don't think he did yeah
0: no i was I, I yeah I, I actually watched the rewatch the footage guy. I was like I remember some band had it. And I'm like I'm pretty sure it was it was DFA. And I, so I like I was like I gotta go back and look. And I was like yeah fuck, fuck it. yeah I was right. So <laughs> I can't that's,
1: even watch that. I can't even watch that performance. Oh really? It was, it, you, yeah.
0: It was a tough one.
1: <laughs> oh it was just like you know high stress. Uh, it's like that's another example where I was like. I didn't really figure out how to sing that song live for another like six months on the road. And, uh, we got like, uh, we got the band to, to play along with us. And, uh, you know, you just assume they're going to, they're going to play all the right chords. And, uh, it was a little bit, it was cool. It was amazing. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things, like I can't go back and listen to a lot of the stuff that we've done in the past. Cause I'm, I'm just like, I don't want to get bogged down with, with the details you know
0: it's a journey man it's a journey and here we are and you're doing great in sunny nah, los yeah. angeles california you're you're killing it man you ever yeah, look into but- uh ever look into a custom mic stand would that help
1: uh i've had uh, get one built, uh, yeah. you know? oh, like a like a the guy from corn just like get some kind of like Something covered in spikes and scrolls and get all thrown <laughs> well, down. you could, out. I
0: guess. I don't know <laughs> if that's quite your, your vibe, but...
1: Or just covered in bandanas like uh, Steven Tyler.
0: <laughs> sure. You could do that. No, I just mean like one that's like welded together that doesn't move. Yeah. Well, you know,
1: we had a... We have a friend who's a welder um, who's offered on numerous occasions, but for whatever reason, I've never gotten around to it, and we i bought like a like this stupid expensive mic stand at one point and it still failed me so i don't i don't (laughs) i don't you know it's just it's my cross to bear if you know if i were uh if you're if i'm ever going to get crucified it's going to be on a mic stand
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's very funny (laughs) oh my god um Speaking of you, you know, you're, you're making me laugh a lot in this podcast. I always thought your band had this dynamic where, like, you guys didn't take yourself very seriously, but everyone else seemed to take you really seriously. Yeah. I mean, we, we take
1: ourselves, we like, we take the, like, the music seriously. Sure. Of course. Um, but the, but the, all the stuff surrounding it, you know, uh, we basically just, um, we're just trying to amuse ourselves, you know? Yeah. So there were, there were, there were periods in this band where when we were driving to the show, like, you know, those long drives, um, you know, I'd be kind of thinking up fun things to say between songs and think <laughs> of, it, you know, I was basically writing us like a, like a comedy set. And yeah, I, I would think totally. of, you know, and I also, w- we had the experience early on of touring with bands that, kind of you know they press play on their on their show and they would just kind of say the same things between songs and um and i get why people do that i understand i totally get that but um uh i wanted i wanted to avoid that so i was always trying to think up of fresh material and see how far i could push something like you know say something kind of off color but see if i could keep the audience on side with me you know yeah um so that was kind of the at first it was um it was strictly just like inside jokes and then i think i i saw a band just be like that really insular like van joke yeah like van joke banter and i think that that's so shit like i can't i i can't condone that anymore like yeah the uh you know the idea of oh we had so much fun uh, all day in the van and these are the funny things oh we so you know whatever just like you know what it is like that van joke banter. Um, So I try to, I I try to transcend that, but, but also um, in the early days, we we were pretty like confrontational to the audience because we were a weird band and, uh, and we didn't necessarily fit in with the bands we were supporting or, or playing with and, uh, and audiences didn't know how to deal with us and we were loud. And, um, and so I was like far more confrontational with the audience uh, almost like just as a defense mechanism, you know, uh, and then that turned into um, the idea of getting everyone on your side uh, and and making it so that the whole if you're having a laugh, then we're all having a laugh, you know. Um, sure. I, I don't I don't like uh, and even even when it gets down to like uh, like singling someone out in the audience, it's never like this uh, like it's never like competitive it's always uh in a way that we can kind of laugh at one another you know
0: yeah of course uh, of
1: course yeah, that of no. uh, that also gets kind of burdensome after a while and there was a long stretch on the last record where i basically didn't say anything between songs we just kind of had samples playing through to kind of bring more severity into the set um and also mm-hmm. because we were on we started using uh, in-ear monitors, and I found that that really disconnected me from the
2: audience. Yeah, that's, uh,
1: that's tough. Yeah, it became difficult to to have that like casual banter. And also, when you're playing bigger stages, like uh, when the audience is far away from you, it it gets it, it kind of gets that way naturally. Like you kind of get a little bit disconnected, and trying to conjure that simpatico, uh, it, it's difficult. It's not easy.
0: No, it, it isn't. It isn't easy at all. Conjure that Simpatico. I'm like, whoa, dude. And I, I gotta admit, I, all I thought about was like high speed internet from the '90s. Sympatico <laughs> yeah. was a company. Yeah, it uh, sure I'll, was. I'll admit, you threw me off a little bit. Um, <laughs> in your monitors, yeah, I, I'm almost a little surprised that you switched to in your monitors after this long because you've been doing it so long. You probably are playing venues that have pretty good monitors where you can get pretty consistent mixes. So I'm surprised you went that route.
2: Uh,
1: you know it, it. It's it's always been really difficult to get uh because of the the drum because of the lead vocal mic being at drum position. You get so much fucking cymbals and oh yeah, uh, like it's an insane amount of 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 other noise into sense. the vocal mic. Um, and it's always been really hard to turn my vocal up loud enough to hear it in the monitor without things feeding back. Like it was really, really challenging. Um and so a lot of the times I was just, you know, doing my best to pitch to the PA and um yeah. just, you know, hoping for the best. And uh and after, you know, years of doing that um to mixed mixed results, I was just like <laughs> the uh you know, the in-ear thing is it's just for me as a singing drummer, it's just way, way, way better
0: um yeah that's no, great no it's great we've my band's been using them for a long time and and i don't think we could ever go back that's for sure but i do remember like that first show when you're yeah. wearing, in your monitors and it's like you're just it was the worst like the worst <laughs> feeling ever you couldn't hear yeah. anything you know i just i ripped mine out after like two songs the first yeah you know, it's, the first it's show. brutal
1: that's called it that's called treating yourself sometimes uh at the end of the set i'll I'll pull one out just to treat myself just to get that old (laughs) that old feeling back you know
0: you don't pull one out between songs when you're talking to the to the crowd i usually pull one out just for some kind of like in case someone yells something i can kind of hear it or whatever
1: i've i've been very self-aware about not adding extra tasks to my
0: (laughs) to my to my
1: job uh so uh even the idea of like pulling out a an earpiece and putting it back in things like uh, i think of it as like a that's just another thing I got to do here. You know, (laughs) I
0: get it, man. Yeah. I get it. A guy that wears a lot of hats on stage, off stage. Um, what's going on with your solo stuff? I know you were doing that for a while. It seems like it's a bit on ice at the moment. Are you just focusing on death from above?
1: Yeah. I've, you know, when we started playing again, um, and when we made the last, the last record, uh, you know, I decided to just totally dedicate myself to this, you know, and, uh, I didn't want to have to compartmentalize my my ideas and go like, well, this is a, this is a Sebastian Granger song. This is a Death from Love song. Right. I wanted to kind of throw everything in, you know, do the best work I could do. And um, I didn't want to think of Death from Love as not my band, you know, which uh, because we weren't a band for so long in the middle, um, there was this mentality that like, this is another, this is like a uh, kind of like a third entity that isn't, the two individuals and I don't think that that's a healthy attitude to have. And also it's like, this is my fucking band, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to put everything I have into it. And so the, um, you know, I still have, uh, solo, you know, ideas and aspirations. Um, but they're definitely not as, you know, important to me at the moment.
0: Cool. That's, that's a great answer. Great answer. Yeah. Um, and of course, the name change back from Death from Above 1979 to Death from Above. A couple things I love about it, and this this is this goes back to what I was talking about with the whole you know humor and not seriousness. Mm-hmm. Um, like when this came out, a lot of people when they would have to change their band name would kind of say like yeah, we got to do it for legal reasons, blah, blah, blah. You were like, fuck this guy, fuck you, I hope you die in a plane crash, or whatever the statement was. Like, you literally, and there's obviously an element of humor to that, too.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, I was upset, but... <laughs> right, but, uh, of course. we are having fun. Uh, we were just, yeah, I don't know. What are you going to do? I mean, the reason why we changed it back was basically because, you know, for various... Uh, humorous reasons, but also, you know, the idea that, uh, we've had this band name and I don't not like the full band name was 1979. i like, it doesn't, it's not like I, it's basically an, I'm I'm impartial towards it, you know, but the, uh, the idea that we changed our name for some like lame bureaucratic legal, like bullshit, super boring, like guy in an office reason you know and we we were just carrying it around with us for so many years and uh so that was the main motivation for me it's like why do we have to have this like it's like a, it's like we had to fill out this like government form like uh fill out form like c22 and uh and to add a number to the end of your uh you know the end of your band All right day.
0: yeah um yeah well, my favorite thing is what you said for your new single freeze me when you're like the final straw of like changing the name back was I was making the art for our single freeze me and I wanted to write the name out in ice. So I ordered a nice cube tray of the alphabet and there were no numbers. So that was that. Yeah, that's basically
1: yeah. I I artwork, it. I sent the artwork. I sent the artwork to uh, to Jesse and our manager and I was like, well, here it is. There were no numbers, you know,
0: and they're like, ah, fuck it. But doesn't that happen? Doesn't it happen as you get older? I mean, and like we're we're close to the same age. Like you just get to some age, and you're kind of just like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, you know, like what's the worst that could happen? They send yeah. you another season and desist, like what? Fifteen years later.
1: Yeah, and you know, to be honest, we ne- we've we never saw any document. It's not like someone sent it to us. It's someone apparently sent it to someone, and then someone emailed us oh. and said we had to do this thing. And you know, so there was no. And the, the, the other perspective, like James Murphy from DFA records, his perspective was basically, he wasn't even, he wasn't even really involved. And, uh, and he had a totally different perspective on it that, that didn't, wasn't really clear, uh, you know, until years later. And, um, like, you know, I've, I've met the guy, hung out with him a little bit, Jesse and him are, are, you know, buds through the, the kind of disco world. And, uh, he's always been really cool with us so you know when we just on a whim we're like let's just do this you know revert um he was asked by a bunch of people to comment on it and he started writing up this like official response and then he was like fuck that i'm just gonna text jesse and be like it's cool brother you know and that's what he did and uh and that was that so i doubt anyone's gonna
0: Is there any fear? Is there any fear like you got all these headline shows coming up? Is there any fear that like some people might somehow miss the memo and be like, oh, it's not the real death from above? It's like a different band because there's no 1979. Is there any fear of that?
1: No, you'd have to be. (laughs) You would have to be so disconnected from, you know, you'd have to. Your phone would have to be flushed down the toilet for like two weeks, (laughs) you know?
0: I don't know, man. I, I hate to say people are stupid, but people are stupid.
1: Well,. No comment
0: <laughs> <laughs> well uh, yeah uh, so you got a, a big tour coming up is there anything to plug there you want to plug or I mean the new record is out uh, now um, uh, I mean before I let you I, go I,
1: no I mean just you know buy the record come to the shows and uh buy a t-shirt who knows I don't know
0: Buy a t-shirt with no <laughs> 1979 on it. Or maybe a 1979, you know? You still you have them. They've be leftover ones from years ago. we, we still got ones. they got to sell them. Yeah. I know how it is, man. Someone, some yeah. warehouse somewhere has all these shirts. Oh, well, okay. Well, we'll still, we'll keep the 1979 going for a little while.
1: Well, we still have the website. That's true. That's true, right? I think the iTunes hasn't switched over, so... It's just whatever. We're a band with two names, two guys, one name
0: each. It's great. (laughs) Well, you're clearly the 1979. So that, that makes sense. (laughs) Love the tattoo. There you go. Sebastian, thanks again for taking the time. I appreciate it. And, uh, all the best with, uh, with going back on tour.
1: Awesome. Thanks for the
0: call. Yeah, man. Cheers. Okay. See ya. See ya. So there it is with Sebastian, (laughs) that dude had me cracking up like the whole podcast, thanks again so much Sebastian for doing it, also shout out to my friend Gordy Ball for hooking it up. And you know it really is crazy just how much talent this guy and this band has, the fact that they can basically switch instruments on a whim, they can do everything, they understand music, they understand recording, they understand the technical aspects. And obviously it's a band a lot of people like and a lot of people care about, but I actually feel like Death From Above doesn't get as much credit as they deserve. Anyways, I will leave you with the tune. I absolutely love their new record. And one of my favorite tracks is the last song. It's called Holy Books. Here it is. Check it out. Death From Above on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. See you next week. You are there. You're still there. Wow. You're still here listening to me speaking from the streets of Germany. And you might ask yourself, "Well, why?" Is it because you wish this episode was longer? Do you wish there was more? Do you wish Have you listened to all 97 episodes and you're like, "Now what? Now what do I do?" Well, if this if this sounds like you, you're in luck. Because I want to tell you right now about the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. This podcast will always be free. Don't worry about that. It will always be free. It will pop up on your phone every Tuesday. But for some people, that's just not enough. You want more episodes, bonus episodes. Maybe you want to interact with other fans of the show or myself on a Facebook group. Maybe you want Lead Singer Syndrome merchandise. Maybe you want things shipped to your house every three months. Maybe some cool patches. I don't know. But. One thing is for sure, this show does take money to keep going week after week. Hosting this stuff is not free, and it does take up a pretty decent chunk of my time. So if you have a few extra dollars a month, it really, really would help me keep the lights on around here and keep this show growing and going week after week. For as little as $6, you can join the All Access Club. I won't harp on it anymore. I just want you to check out the website and see if it's right for you. And definitely it would help me out tremendously if you could become a member and join the other 200 plus members of this thing that we already have. The link is Leadsinger Syndrome.com slash all access. Again, LeadSinger Syndrome.com slash all access. As little as six dollars a month gets you in. And again, you'll get some really cool perks, some bonus content, and at the same time, you'll be helping out the show. Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. Until next time, have a great week.